0: Welcome to today's episode. In the episode, we had a special guest on the podcast today who also happens to be a uh, fan of the podcast. He confessed to us that he is actually a listener, a triathlete himself, but more importantly, a podiatrist, and that is Matt Fieldsend. And we really loved the chat with Matt today. Uh, We got to explore everything to do with the foot. Uh, But as Matt explained, you know, the foot isn't isolated and the body is a... uh, global moving structure and so uh, things that happen with the foot aren't happening in isolation it was a great chat just exploring uh, foot and ankle mechanics and everything up from there and how that can impact triathlon performance uh, triathlon uh, injury risk uh, how you can potentially prevent common injuries how you can rehab common injuries uh, areas to focus on and a whole lot more which uh Matt really talked about in detail some really clever ways of thinking about the water body, some really clever principles for prehab and rehab, um, and some really clever principles for just understanding um, concepts of the of the body and body biomechanics that can uh, help you in your training and your racing and hopefully to stay injury free. So we absolutely love the chat. Uh, thank you, Matt, for coming on. And without further ado, here is Matt Fieldson. <music> right we've got podiatrist Matt on the line Matt thank you very much for joining us firstly I know you're a personal fan of the podcast and secondly I just said how do I introduce you in terms of where you're from and you said you've got three different clinics that you're actually working for so give us a bit of an introduction Uh, yeah who are you and um, where are you from
1: yeah, yeah, so I, I do spend my time um, in podiatry around, around three different clinics. So the one I'm sitting in today is, is Evolve Physio um, on St Kilda Road, um, who, where I work with a couple of great um, physiotherapists. And um, uh, I also have worked with um, Mitch Anderson, who obviously got the introduction with you and is a former guest on the show. Um, so we have a really good relationship due to his triathlon interests and also his foot and ankle interests. Um, and then I work with a really good group of sports podiatrists at um, Up and Running Podiatry. We have a few different clinics ar- around the place. Um, a couple of very keen triathletes there as well. Um, I'd love to hear that. Yep. Yeah, the uh, two business um, um, directors are, are quite strong triathletes like Kona, Kona um, Entrance, so they've done pretty well. Um, and then um, from my local footy club in North Road Physio, I work for North Road Podiatry. I'm the one-out podiatrist there, so I spread my love around those those three. So
0: great in
1: week
0: interesting definitely definitely well welcome to the uh, episode welcome to the podcast we can't wait to chat all things uh, feet in this episode uh, but to start with like I said you are a fan of the podcast yourself you say that you uh, listen to it which we're grateful for and uh, gratitude is one of the things we start with so uh, we're going to do that segment we don't do it with every guest but seeing as you know the podcast we're going to dive into it so dad welcome to the episode you can start us off with some gratitude
2: Thanks Jordan. Uh, My gratitude actually relates to our guests and uh, on that general theme, I am so grateful that there are so many experts in their fields such as Matt in in podiatry and the other guests we've had who are really willing to give their time freely uh, to give all our listeners um, the tips that they're absolutely hanging out for. So that's my gratitude. So thanks Matt for being on board.
0: Thanks for having me. That's a great start, Matt. You can go
2: next.
1: Yeah, like I, I think um, listening to these a lot, you know, one of the easy ones, one of the graduates we always have is, is family. But under current circumstances, you know, we haven't been able to travel to spend time with some of them and so on. And particularly in a job where we're still considered essential. Um, your co-workers have sort of become your little family and been people that you've been able to lean on a lot. So I'm really grateful for the great relationships that I have with, with the, the co-workers that I have at the different places that I work at that have made it so much easier to get through. A pretty difficult time and sort of being that um, little family away from home. So, Fantastic. Yeah, very grateful for all of them.
0: That's a great one. Good stuff, Matt. And my one is actually pretty similar to that theme. Uh, I'm grateful for my housemates, obviously, not being able to see family. Your housemates really become your family. And uh, if you didn't like them, then it wouldn't be too fun. But, um, but fortunately for me, I really like them. And it's they've actually been a really good uh, presence to have at home um, to try and switch off. We've been trying to do some fun things just to, um, get out of our routine and uh, it has really helped with the lockdown so that's my gratitude but without further ado let's get into the episode so Matt dive in tell us about how you got to this point in your career and uh, you've got a pretty heavy sports background and injury background so take us back to the start um, how did you end up to this point
1: yeah, yeah, I played played all sports as a kid. Um, you know, had a crack at everything. I grew up in Wollongong, and it was all soccer and rugby and so on. There, cricket. Moved to Perth. That's where I found the love of AFL footy and um, continued to play cricket until cricket and footy until about the age of sixteen, where footy sort of took over. I was playing TAC Cup footy, and um, probably was you had to be super good to continue to play cricket and footy. Um, mm-hmm. I to try, and I probably wasn't good enough at cricket, so. Concentrated on footy um, to try and make it there um, and didn't quite make it straight away, uh, but continued to play footy until, you know, 33, um, played you know, some VFL footy with Casey Scorpions and, uh, and, and Port Melbourne and had a long time at, at DLSL in the Vafra in the, Vaffa in the uh, first, uh, first Division Ammos as well. Um, Study-wise, I always wanted to do something in – in uh, the physio world, probably first of all. Um, I was very injury prone all the way through my career. Spent a lot of time in physios from the age of you know, 12, 13, breaking hands, dislocating fingers, dislocated elbows, just the simple things early on. <laughs> Didn't get too serious too early.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, but And I so I started a, a science degree majoring in nativity and physiology straight out of school. Um, and uh, at age 19, blew my ankle out pretty badly, had a full ankle reconstruction. Mm. Um, and so along the process of that became more interested in foot and ankle mechanics and saw a good podiatrist and, um, you know, had some, had had some orthotics that helped, but also a good rehab program that helped me to get back into it. And, um, yeah, that sort of set me on the journey towards, you know, doing a second degree and a master's in podiatry after, after the science degree.
2: And did you sustain injuries as a continuum all through that period and, and as a, an expert in your field, you must have been shaking your head, going, "What am I doing? Why am I getting so injured all the time?" Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I, I basically did. I don't reckon I've seen too many injuries. Uh, in like the mainstream injuries that I see in practice, I've, I've had a lot of them myself. So um and that, after that foot when i had the ankle reconstruction i tore my perineal tendons off all my lateral ligaments so they were all they were all sort of put back together makes me um, shiver with uh, <laughs> it's just like... Yeah, yeah, so it's a very floppy ankle when you do that yeah um but very stiff post um, operation so then so i had you know all the all the usuals after that so you know achilles tendinopathy plantar fasciitis Kind oh. of all of those things sort of trying to get back to playing mm-hmm. um then i had what else did i have i had my foot landed on so i had broke three metatarsals sprained all this frank ligament which is kind of like the acl of your foot mm-hmm. um I had a contact injury to my calf so that uh open up my calf and drain blood out of that i've had a knee reconstruction i've torn my pec off my shoulder and had it reattached yeah, uh, yeah, broken yeah. a few of the
0: bones. <laughs> <laughs> the list goes on. You said seven ma- off air. You were saying seven major surgeries on your lower legs. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I think I think so. there thereabouts. Yeah, a couple couple of knees, ankle reconstruction, calf. Um, yeah, it's, it adds up.
0: But <laughs> well, at least you know you can uh, you can vouch for the any rehab uh, because you would have had to do it all firsthand. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I'm I'm an expert at rehab. I like to think, <laughs> at least on my own body. So hopefully I can uh, guide some other people with the principles as well.
0: On Dad's point, I mean injuries can be frustrating, but they can kind of be feel like they come from two points in a contact sport like footy, it just can be unavoidable sometimes. It was the contact that did it. And other times it's your biomechanics and it's something that you could probably prevent. So yeah, yeah. how was that balance for you among all the injuries?
1: Most of my injuries were um, were contact injuries. Um, I, I was always pretty good, diligent at being doing all the extra things with rehab, prehab, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But then managing the your mechanics and the way you moved was super important with how quick you could get back. So if you didn't, do, like, I, I was always a lot, with a lot of those injuries, I was usually, if someone told me you, you, you'll you be back in 12 weeks, I'll be like, I'll be back in eight.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> and so you know, I, so, and so I, what can I do to make it, what can I do to get there faster? What can I do, what can I do? Yeah. Um, within reason, and make sure I pass all the tests before I go back to play, but I was always looking for how can you do this the best way?
0: Is that the right way to uh, go about it? If a patient was saying that to you, I mean, would you? Is that alarm bells for you?
1: Certainly, yeah, absolutely. And, and then there's <laughs> then, then there's the realistic of um, how how much more quickly can you make it? Because there? there's certain biological processes that take a certain amount of time to happen. So you know, you, you, you properly break a bone, and if it's and if it's still you know uh, union, so they don't, it's not, it's non-displaced. You can't race the fact that that's going to take six weeks to break. So, so six weeks to heal, I should mm-hmm. say. So, that you, some some timelines you can't mess up with too much. Some you can a, a little bit, but it, like all those, all of those times, I was in, I was playing a reasonable level and had good um, healthcare. So, I had to pass certain tests to be allowed to go back to pay as well. It wasn't all, I wasn't my own decision all all of the time.
2: Did that uh, make you think? Uh, obviously, these are almost unavoidable injuries that you've, that, that, you know, that you've sustained, but did that make you really hone in on um, the soft tissue stuff? I'm definitely not going to have any of them and, and do the preventative stuff, which is what the listeners I think really need to hear a little bit more about um, because they only start thinking about that when they get the injury. And, yeah. and I'm in the same position. I've done that myself, you know, it, just rest, ice, and then expect to go straight back and yep. and it'd be okay. And it's and it's invariably going to reoccur if, unless you do something about preventing it to happen again.
1: 100%. So like whenever you do an injury, uh, obviously at the time, even if it's, let's say it was a contact injury. So at the time you were performing well enough that you, the tissue capacity of your body, if you didn't have that contact injury, was at the same capacity as the of the activity that you're doing. The tissue is able to, to deal with the load that you're putting through it. As soon as you stop doing an activity, you know, if you don't train for a little while, you get loss of tissue capacity. You're not as strong. So, but what we'll often do is I've had two weeks off, but I'll just go straight back to the previous level of activity. Now your tissue is deconditioned in that mm-hmm. time if you haven't done anything about it. So you are already at, injury, at risk of having an injury unless you've done something to meet the fact that you will have lost tissue capacity. So you've either retrained or you've done some sort of cross training, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that, that was super important in coming back from all of those injuries, is, is ensuring that with, with, whatever we're talking about, that you have the, whatever tissue you're talking about has the capability to produce the forces required to complete that activity. For example, <laughs> I talk about, say, um, if you, 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 you break your foot, so you put in a, in a moon boot, so with the, the bone heals, but your Achilles tendon doesn't do anything for six weeks. It doesn't mm. stretch, shorten, et cetera. So you, now you, you're, you get out of the boot and yeah, your, your foot, your bone works well, but you can't do four calf raises. So how are you going to produce four and a half thousand contractions on a 10K run?
0: Hmm.
1: You know, there, there's a mismatch there. We need, need to recreate that ability.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how did you bridge the gap between uh, footy and triathlon and especially with this injury background?
1: Yeah. Well, so yeah, one. Some, often, one of the first things you could do was ride a bike. Um, with with a lot of those operations that i had so um i i got into riding a bike um and uh and obviously and, and some swimming so you know there were cross-training things that i was allowed to do to maintain some cardiovascular fitness so that when I, you'd get back to the footy that you could you know keep up faster or you could return to play faster because you'd maintain some cardiovascular ability. so i'm doing all this swimming and, and and riding and going well why not you know in the off season I'm having a crack when i can actually run at, at putting it all together and i'd, I'd watch some and Hawaiian Ironman stuff and and so on as a kid and, and sort of had a had a loose interest in it but you know until you sort of got on a bike and did a bit of swimming um, th- didn't think about putting it all together until then and and it just sort of grew from there.
0: You've got the bug now, do you?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, big 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 time, really big time. Yeah, so I've done done a quite a few. I've done about four four halves now and quite a few triathlons. And having family that lived in Noosa and go, going up there and seeing that you know the the, the um, the massive event that is the Noosa Triathlon and everything happens around it. Just, um, it was I, I saw it as something that could scratch the competitive itch post football.
2: Unreal. How have you transitioned physically in, from you know reasonably high injury prone uh, career as a as a football player? How have you transitioned to keep yourself injury free as a swim bike and run athlete now?
1: Well, I was always pretty uh, good at doing a lot of gym based stuff. Uh, with football because I was, I was small basically to play, to play mm-hmm. footy, Um, so I had to be, I had to do a lot of work in the gym to protect myself. Basically, you know, um, I was often giving away 10 centimeters and 10 kilos to the guys I play on. So in order to not get broken any more often than I was, I had to, I had to be pretty strong. So I think having a good gym, um, an SNC and background, um, has allowed me to make that, that transition to a degree. And then, um, a lot of just reading and research as, as to, you know, like yeah, to um, you know building loads and how much you should do and then getting a coach as well. So, you, mm-hmm. get, you know, eventually getting a triathlon coach. Um, so um, to, to work in with, they don't control my S&C side, so I don't do that myself. But, yep. um, you know, making sure that we're building volumes and loads and intensities in the right way.
0: So we want to get into some of the specific uh, or common injuries that triathletes might see. But just before that, um, I want to ask a more general question about what are some of the lessons you learned uh, with mental or physical resilience with dealing with all these injuries um, personally and applying that to um, your career?
1: I think – most of the time there was always like an, a, a, an end goal. So, you know, a period of time or something I had to work towards. And I think when I was, sometimes I'd ask for it because I was the type of person I was, but it always worked better if I, there was you know um, steps that I had, could achieve along the way. So little milestones that you could tick off. Um, and that always helped the mental approaches, obviously particularly dealing with a surgical um, injury that, you get you there's a long period of time but it's like if you reach this level of range of motion then you can do this activity if you reach this level of strength then you can do this activity um, and so always having little goals along the way i think feeds into particularly athletes where competitive so if, if you can give them little goals to reach along the way they're going to want to work yeah. towards that and that really helped me uh mentally um and, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure there's much more I could say on that. I just know how much I love to compete, so I just wanted to get back there. And that was often a, a big enough driving force in itself.
2: That's really great for the listener to hear because, you know, when you're injured you think it's doom and gloom uh, and you need to change the mindset don't you so that you can turn it around to say right you know i'm missing the passionate thing that i love to do um let's see you know work on things that i can control which is the rehab and and you know getting yourself to a position where you're you're not doing the rehab properly when you are able to actually go back onto the training field you're, you're going to possibly injure yourself again and And they're the key things that you actually need to concentrate on is doing the rehab uh, and waiting out the correct time and having these little goals, like you've said, to pass. And, you know, we have lots of people come through um, our coaching um, business where they have various injuries. And this is one of the biggest issues that I have with them is they're so motivated to to get back as quick as possible. And as you talked about, you know, getting the structure of the tissue to be able to cope with the activity, you know, they they still think they're superhuman and they can just resume yeah. where they where they left off. And it's a great message that you're sending to the listeners, which is yeah. you need to do your time properly and you need to progress once you're once you're being given the green light. Yeah. You need to progress slowly to let your body adapt, and and that is one of the key things that I have the biggest arguments with people is and yeah. i would say why did you go and do a 50 minute run when you know you haven't run for 5 weeks and yeah. and and now you've got soreness everywhere and you need four more days off um yeah. is that something that you come across regularly
1: yeah, all we all know as, as boring as it as it can be is consistency is key and 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 you you you, you get more out of hero programs and the consistency of not missing sessions than you do out of doing one really good session and then mm-hmm. not being on for a week <laughs> um, and and that goes that goes the same to a degree with um, and having like you just mentioned you mentioned rec- recovery like even with our within the rehab it's the same as your your training principles you you want to minorly overload and then recover for a day or two so have a lesser day or two because that's when you adapt like you only get better when you're you only the only training you're getting better from is the training you recover from so you do the training and then you need to sleep eat well all the rest for for a little while and then you do another session and they're just little building blocks if that session is like is you know 15 20 30 40 percent harder than your previous session was and you you the tissues don't recover well then you don't get to also there's three or four days where you don't work on all the tissues around it because you're resting and so you actually go backwards instead of forwards so that you know building in the blocks of of rehab the, the right way and being consistent is so much more important than having one big super session. I
0: mean, super session well Let's dive into some common injuries you'd see, especially in the triathlete scene. Um, yeah. And, yeah, for, for these, we'd love to know kind of what their prevention would be um, to stop it happening in the first place. But if it does happen, you know, what what, what the treatment, best type of treatment is, because I'm sure a few of these injuries, I uh, guarantee the listeners will have experienced one of them if you just list some of the main ones. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it's interesting. Like, So there's, there's heaps, obviously there's heaps of injuries in triathlon. There's, we spend so much time on your feet, yep. putting our boys, so many hours of training. But some of the foot-specific ones you might see can be like these. we've got multiples, you know, Achilles, tip post, you know, perineals, et cetera. fasciopathies, you know, plantar fascia, ITB, um, bone stress injuries, metastasal stress fractures, you know, joint pains and sprains, intermetatarsal symptoms like neuroma and bursitis. Um, they're all ones that are just within the foot. Mm-hmm. And then, then, you know, you, foot mechanics can then play a pretty significant part in more proximal injuries like, you know, um, shin splints, um, patellofemoral joint pain or anterior knee pain, um, hip pain, lower back pain, like glute Um, So the list goes on. Um, but um, the causes are often multifactorial between an interplay between the intrinsic factors so what's going on inside the body and extrinsic factors so extrinsic factors are stuff like you know your your training loads, frequency intensity volume the type of training surfaces that are being trained on um footwear uh can, like weather conditions mm-hmm. the patient diet or the client's dietary habits mm-hmm. and intrinsic factors that might contribute to the injury could be age gender uh, you know, height, weight, BMI, their, their bone mineral density. Um, so, you know, with, that goes into area like reds, you know, relative energy de- deficiency, their, their strength, like we were just talking about, what's their tissue strength like, um, their biomechanics and their movement patterns, the way they run or the way they ride or the way they're on the bike and their previous injury history. So we know the biggest um, risk for any injury is having had that injury before. <laughs> so that that, that that outweighs the risk for any injury. So but what we can generally assume with just about any injury that occurs is that if the injury occurred, the, the load that was placed on the tissue exceeded the capacity of the tissue. And that's when we, that's when that sort of sits at the top of the pyramid of why you get injured. And so you put too much load for a tissue, it failed. We have an injury. Yeah.
0: Brilliant gold nugget to understand. Yep
1: yeah yeah so if, if you take so if we if we take one simple type of injury so let's talk about achilles tendon pain this would be a really common one that you'd see mm-hmm. in runners and, and and in and in triathletes so extrinsic factors that might contribute to um the the tissue capacity of the of the achilles tendon being uh, like overloaded could be you've added running speed too fast or you've added hill running too fast you've Changed out your shoe to one with a a lower heel drop and integrated that too quickly with too high a volume of training. So, there is like extrinsic factors. Um, Any of those in isolation could cause the injury, or if if you did all of them at once, you know, obviously you're increasing the likelihood of injury. And then, intrinsic factors might be you've had a previous history of Achilles injury, or you've sprained your ankle, you've had a history of calf muscle tears. You've got sciatica or low back pain, and that's neurally inhibiting the calf muscle from functioning properly. So, you know, there, there's lots of there's lots of different things that could happen there, and that's where probably that's where we come in as as the as the practitioner or the podiatrist is to assess the patient and see what is the major contributor to why that tissue's been overloaded.
2: Mm. Like get
1: that full picture. So, training history versus the full assessment that we'll do on the patient, and and um and then go from there.
2: Can you see much uh, in if you were to look at uh, some some of your athletes who come in injured? Can you see much from if you got them to walk or to run um, if they're able to run? Obviously, when when they came yeah. in injured, but can you see some things that would contribute, such as you said with the biomechanics um, of of their potential, you know, their actual running style? And we're talking about running, yeah. if their the
0: gate, their landing, or something.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there's basically when, when they come in, I'll I'll take them from, there's, there's almost like a, there's a basic raft of, 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 um, of assessments that I'll do that go from the very simple to the more complex. And you can often, I'll, I'll start with the simple stuff, but so you, sometimes you get to a certain, and we're not going to go past here because this, this, you know, then the, the tissue is not co- there's the tissue not covering with this, so yeah. we're not going to go put put into run. So, okay. I'll start with you, just double leg standing in front of me. Have you got any pain at the moment? Yeah. Yes. No. Can you stand get them to stand on one foot, balance on one foot? So how stable are they on one foot? Where's their foot rotating? Is their knee rotating? What's their pelvis? What's their pelvis? Where's their pelvic stability like? Mm-hmm. So um, the foot and the hip have, are, are really important because they both generate rotation. You know, the foot, supernates, pronates, rolls in, out, and the hip is obviously a ball and socket joint. So And the knees, the meat in the sandwich between those. So if we often forget knee pain, it's generally because there's something going wrong at either end above (laughs) it. (laughs) Even a single leg balance test is giving us a little quick picture of how those two interacting. Then you do a double leg calf raise test. Are they getting any pain there? If if they're getting six out of 10 pain there, we're not moving on to a single leg calf raise test. they can do the single leg calf raise test. So we're going to do, um, we're going to do some double leg jumping, hopping if they can do no pain, then we're going to single leg hop. And when we're looking at that, I'm looking what their foot's doing, and their hips doing, what the knees doing, all of those tests. And I'll do all of those before I even make them walk, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly if they're a runner, because that's still, that's a progression in the the complexity and the and the increase in load of tests that you might do. Then I'll definitely watch them walk. And if if they've been okay to hop, they'll probably be okay to to pop on the treadmill and run. Once we get them on the treadmill and run, we're looking at know like step length where is their foot landing in relation to the center of mass both from side on and from and and from behind or or in, or in front
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: are they crossing over their midline Are they, is their foot way out in center in, in front of their center of mass you know do they run way too upright tip over too far they got a hip flexion um you know what's their again what's their lumbopelvic control like one of the last things we look at as their foot mechanics, because sometimes if you change any of those other parameters, you'll get a different foot mechanic. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's not the be all and end all, but it's, you know, we it, we'd certainly take it into account. And then you want to look at is what's the tissue that they've come in that we've determined is injured. And so where along this pathway is it being loaded? And what can we modify to reduce the, t- the stress on that tissue?
2: Uh, that's a really good uh, summary of the process and uh, it made me think while you were talking, um, if someone came in and and presented with your plan out of injury to change some mechanical aspect of their running stride and they've been doing it for 40 years, yep. how difficult is that process?
1: That can, well, that can be really difficult to 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 change someone's running mechanics and sometimes um and and sometimes you might think that they need to change a couple a few things um, and it's better to do that stepwise like pick something simple and sometimes you, you might try in on the treadmill you, you might try a few different cues and see which set tends to work for them and then if some of them aren't working then just get them to work with one um if that's and all and once you're changing, changing uh their running mechanics I've got to have already been, satisfied that the tissue that the, the the injury is going to cope with running anyway <laughs> so,
2: yeah. so yeah. sometimes
1: that's a decent way down depending on what the injury is that might be a decent way down the pathway and then it might be i don't think i think they run okay but it, they're still going to get sore so mm. what are the what other things can we do to modify the load on that tissue so there's other things as a podiatrist that we can use to, to, to modify the load on, on the tissue, and that might not just be the way they move. Obviously, intrinsically, it can be the way they move or their strength, um, but extrinsically, it might be, you know, we could use a different shoe here or we could put something inside the shoe, which we could just be some padding or a, or a heel lift or an ortho, or some that so which we can use to modify the loads that get put on tissue. So it doesn't yeah. necessarily break down break down the, the running
2: mechanic.
0: Yeah. The assessment example you just gave of kind of all the factors that you could be thinking about is unbelievably thorough and I would say also reassuring for anyone that you know is potentially wanting to see you, for example, as long and other professionals as long as they're this thorough as well. Um, but it is such a wide spectrum of potential factors. So surely there must be um, some extremely common factors that present themselves uh, over and over again ahead of the less common ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like some of your real basic ones are, you know, if we're talking strength, so you, we know as runners, probably with all the the assessment that's out there, the, the two probably most important muscles to work on for endurance runners are your soleus. It, it produces and, um, absorbs so much force with every step that you take when you run something like six times your body weight that it absorbs with and, and produces with every step that you take at slow to moderate speed running so basically anything we do in the triathlon world and then your glutes so you know so maintaining your your pelvic level so you know your glute meat stuff so if you're going to do anything you know strengthen your size strengthen your glutes um, and and sometimes that doesn't even take a long time so you know it can be three minutes at the start of a run um, what else are we talking about? Some regular things that you see. So, yeah, so definitely like it's so a calf slice, calf strength. You know, how many, how many calf raises can, can you do? Mm-hmm. Um, and you think you know, sometimes you have patients come in and they've got, you know, Achilles pain or they got plantar fasciopathy or this kind of thing. And they're saying, I'm running 60 Ks a week. Why? And, I can, and, you know, I've been doing this for ages. I can't figure out why, you know, I've got, I keep getting these kind of injuries. And so, well, they, and they can only produce. 12 crappy calf raises in the room and as as you guys would probably have a reasonable background is what has the calf got to do when you do your 60ks for the week and how many contractions has it got to yeah, yeah. produce at, and at what force at, and so at six um, times
0: body weight as well you make a good case there yeah
1: yeah, so a calf raise where you're not leaving the ground is one times body weight. Yeah.
0: So yeah.
2: If,
1: if you're not able to do a decent number of those, yes, in running, you're going to swap from leg, leg to leg, so there's a slight break, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, there's an elastic storage in the Achilles. It's not just the calf muscle that does the work. But, um, yeah, that's you know that's an indication that the tissue capacity is lower than what the activity level requires. So you know, that, that's one we see all the time. Um then when you talk about running, you, some of the some of the ones you see with people uh, that are having a lot of, you know, bone stress and anterior knee pain is, you know, uh, is overstriding. So just, you know, just their, their foot in relation to their centre of mass, it just tends to be way too far out in front. And just mechanically, you think about if your foot's in front of you, it's very hard to use to propel you forward. So it's basically a break Mm. until you get it underneath you and you can push off it. Mm. It's pretty hard to push forward off your foot when it's in front of you. Mm. So that's just one that we felt that we probably see a little bit as well.
0: I I reckon every single person that's gone to a physio will have um, left with um, some sort of glute strengthening exercise at some point. Um, But probably a less common one that you walk away with is calf strengthening exercises. So, Apart from calf raises, actually, oh, if you're up for it, I'd like to give you a live example slash test because uh, I personally have had um, a recent foot injury and um, have been doing calf raises and some other things uh, yeah. to help. Um, yeah. I think uh, if you've been a runner for a long time, I would assume, and me if I'm wrong, that you will have naturally strong calves. You know, being a runner since my childhood, for my whole life, I've been able to do calf raises till the cows come home. I just yeah. um, think it's a natural process. But yes. I, ha- I have found with, by increasing that, you know, all the muscles around the calf, um, uh, yeah, everything front and back starts to get a bit tighter because um, you're doing, and then, so I feel like I'm foam rolling more and doing some other things to try and loosen it, but then you're doing yes. the strength stuff and it's, it feels like it's kind of a cycle that's um, contrasting itself. And it, it yes. to me can feel a little bit like it's um, wasting each other's time, you know, doing the foam rolling to loosen it and then doing the strength thing to tighten it. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, sometimes it can be around the programming of when you're doing that, that, that rehab. Um, so one of the calves are an endurance muscle. So, you know, your soleus, if your soleus didn't turn on, you can't stand upright. So it does, it does tolerate large volume of load. Um, I think, you know, who was it that said, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger made a funny quote, you know, we all know, <laughs> I'm sure everyone uh, remembers Arnie. Yeah. Um, so he used to talk about it. He did all of his body parts three times a week, except for his abs and his calves, he'd do them six days a week because yeah. they could tolerate the extra load, yeah. um, but, but even so, I think if there's, there's still like, just like you do with the rest of your training, there's heavy days and light days. And I think it's, I like to, when I'm incorporating sort of calf rehab or foot and ankle rehab, I like you to do it on, on as particular triathletes, do it on your run days so that you do it beforehand. <laughs> it doesn't tend to take away from your performance in, 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 in the training that you're going to do. And then if, if I'm getting you to do it second daily, so maybe you know, three to four times a week or, or slightly more than that, then you actually get your, – your calf should get a full day off on your swim day or your or your, if you swim ride right on another day. You don't do your rehab on that day. It's getting, like, it's getting that time to adapt. You get two sleeps in between when you're going to do it again. Yeah. Um, we all know that tissue recovery happens overnight. So sometimes it's in the programming. Sometimes people get, oh, I've got to do my calf raises every day. I've got to do them five days a week, and they do them on the days they don't run because they don't want to interfere with their running. When yeah. does the calf really break? So yeah. sometimes yeah. it can be a programming thing.
0: That's a really great point. Do you yeah. have any other uh, exercises off the top of your head that um, would go along with something like calf raises? Because you know, it's just a pretty common one.
1: Well, it is, but there's just sort of different ways to do it. So mm-hmm. you like, just just doing a straight leg is, you know, it's good. It's reasonable bang for buck. But doing something with a bent leg, doing something in a like in a running position, so a forward leg with a with a with a bent leg can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. If you really loading it up with a smith machine when gyms are available to yeah. used, is, is useful yeah. um so yeah i think i think just it's like anything with training if you do the one thing all the time and you don't give it any variety that's the only thing you can do you know what I mean? if you only mm,
2: just, you become good only, at that
1: you become good at that. If you only do long, slow rides, you'll be good at long, slow rides. If you only do long, slow runs, you'll only be good at long, slow runs. Like you, if you have variety in your program, you can do work any different energy systems in different positions and different strengths. It's the same thing with rehab. You need to put, you need to work the muscle in different lengths and in different positions to get the best outcome. So um, changing the stimulus is really important. It's a great point. Great answer. I'm really happy with that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, look, uh, just one thing I want to ask too um, while we're on sort of uh, stride patterns and running technique and yeah, um, a lot of our athletes, when we're asking them to run slowly as in a recovery run or an easy day, um, I get the feedback that I uh, I can't run slow
0: um,
2: yeah. And and then I start thinking, well, if they change their running action when they run slow, are they actually almost Creating an injury potential uh, yeah. because they're running differently to what they would normally run when they stride out, and yeah. and it's a real conundrum with with actually trying to give them the right response as to look, you should be running the same way whether you're striding out, whether you're running easy, or or whether yeah. you're you know, and and definitely not um, changing your action um, de- yeah. depending on the speed. You, you you know when I look at the Kenyans run and they're jogging as a group as a warm-up, they look the same way as when they're striding out winning the 1,500 metres at the Olympics. They've just got this beautiful, you know, rhythmical action, except they're not running 230 pace, they're running 5-minute K pace, but it looks the same.
1: They do it. In, have you seen some of the warm-ups that the Ethiopians and the Kenyans go through with all the different marches that they do? And it's it's literally like a marching band. Everything happens at the same time. They do all these incredible movements. They're, they're super coordinated as, as as well as being, um, mm. you know, good runners. It, it's it's not an accident that mm. um, they're able to do it that way. Um, and yeah, I think it, it, it comes from practice and and sometimes some 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 help you know as to what are the things you're doing well when you're running faster. You know what, what's your body position like? What, what's your foot position like? Um, but it, it, I think it's sometimes just a little bit of practice too. I, I don't think in I don't know like we've just spoken about the fact that I think sometimes it's good to give the body a different stimulus and sometimes what's running is hitting the ground in exactly the same way all the time and I know you guys are big advocates of hill running and trail running and, and that kind of thing. and what is some, one of the reasons you're a good ab- big advocate because we're not landing in exactly the same position, loading the exact same thing yeah. the same way all the, all the time. So potentially we don't get too caught up on it <laughs> if, if, they're not, if they're not getting sore, if it's just I can't run yeah. sore, that will yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> because it's better for your energy systems. That's um, awesome. And, I, and, and be, I yeah.
2: felt like saying that. Just yeah, do it. Yeah.
1: Just do it. <laughs> that, don't, don't say you felt like I've I've heard you say it multiple times. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so. and, 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 I don't know. Like, run, go find a friend that can't run you as fast as you can, right, and run with them and talk to them, or something like that. That's a good yeah. one. They're yeah, not going to run with one of their mates or something like that. I think I think that works pretty well.
0: Now, what about? Um, one of the myriad of, uh, opathies that you listed at the start, tendonopathy, (laughs) Um, what kind of prevention or, um, sources of, uh, you know, problem, uh, in that regard, because tendon muscle is slightly different, you know, so.
1: Yeah, it it is to a degree. Tendons tend to take longer to get, like tend to take a little longer often to show up an injury, but they also take longer to heal because they've got poor blood supply and so on and so forth. Um, but the thing is, Um, tendons need load like it's their job to um, attach a muscle to a bone and stretch and then pull on pull on the muscle and get the joint to move so they don't respond to rest so you need to you need to load them or they won't get better it's just about having that right recipe of how much load can tolerate and so that's that's why you go through say that like the raft of tests that we did you get to a point that they go this is okay this is okay this is okay that's not okay and so it's all right well we need to build our volume at what's just okay so we just want to like mildly overload recover mildly overload mildly overload recover Um, and and so to avoid it it's it's basically i think any of the almost any of the injuries that i've spoken to you about is all the same things that you would do with your coaching program generally is don't introduce anything too fast. It's like don't have someone that's come to the 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 Trivillo coaching club and they've all they've ever done is ride on beach road and we can say all right for the first six weeks that you come here you're going to ride up and down the one in 20 every day. Right, so you got to int- introduce hill running slowly. If you've got a new shoe, introduce it slowly. So shorter runs, slower runs first. Um, If you're going to do some, some hills start with, you know, once a week, you can do some strides on a 2% hill. You're not going to go run up to one in 20. it's, It's all of those things. Introducing something with gradual overload. It's just that it's, it's like a coaching principle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Applies universally as well. It really does. Yeah. And look, we could we could probably go through the list of uh, injuries infinitely, um, yeah. but <laughs> we wouldn't we wouldn't get very far uh, in this podcast episode. But let's talk about um, kind of two main topics that I think will be of big interest to people, and that is uh, one is the topic of orthotics, and you also just spoke before about um, even in injury rehab, not quite the full kind of orthotic, but. Um, just putting in little heel raises or raises somewhere in the feet um, just to help with kind of injury rehab. So talk to me your thoughts on um, kind of the uses and myths around this.
1: Yeah. I I think there's, there's a lot of myths and misconceptions around orthotics and and some have probably been created by podiatrists and some are just beliefs that other people have about them when they come to, to them. So, you know, some of the myths that people sort of subscribe to is that no one needs them or that, everyone the dichotomous belief that not like everyone needs them and everyone should have them. Um, there's, there's the myth that they correct the skeleton that they weaken or, or brace the foot um, that they can only go into a neutral running shoe or that they're a life sentence. Like once you've got them, you're you, like, you're going to have them for life. And they're probably, they're probably all myths <laughs> basically that you can break them all down. And, and so that's the way the one simple way to think about it that I like to, to use to start off with is that, so if someone gives you a set of eyeglasses because you, you, your vision's going, that, that you, we do see that as a life sentence. So like you, you say, I'm going to have glasses for the rest of my life. If You're given just about anything else. So if you hurt your shoulder, you're given a sling or you sprain your ankle, you're given some crutches. I like to think of orthotics as a sling or as crutches. It's like, once you get them, what's the, what's the period of time that I need to use this for? Now, there's there's some times where that can change and alter. Mm-hmm. So that that's probably the that's the short version of that, <laughs> I guess. Yep. If you want to use a longer version, you could say like um, that orthotics are like drugs. Okay, so there's if you put um, five white pills on on the table, you like one could be for heart disease, one could be an antibiotic, one could be paracetamol if you put five orthotics on the table, people think they all do the same thing. Mm. But just like the prescription for the pills is different and they're going to affect things in different ways, the prescription within the orthotic will do different things and do things in different ways. And then if you're talking about the length of time, if you cut your foot and you got an infection, you might have antibiotics for four or five days and then that's it. So, for some injuries within the foot, we might only need to put a heel raise in to let it settle or put an orthotic in to let it settle or even just strap the foot with taping to let it settle. And then you don't need that again. Mm-hmm. Then there's something that might last a little bit longer. So you might get an upper respiratory tract. In fact, you need to take cortisone, prednisolone. You you're don't, you not going to be enough for the rest of your life, but you're not, you might need to take it for a few months. Yep. So so, so it's some conditions, you know, tendon injuries within your foot, you might need to modify the load in in the tendon for a few months until the tissue capacity returns and which might allow you to continue to train in the meantime. And then there's the there's the much other end of the scale, which is, you know, some people get given, they have a heart attack, so you're on aspirin for the rest of your life. You might have a you might get a joint fused in your foot, you know from some serious injury. Yeah, yeah, that's maybe one rare case where you might be on orthopedics for the rest of your life. But I would say most of the time when we're talking triathletes, we're talking about the the tissue somewhere in their their body has been overloaded we want to use the orthotic to modify the stress on that tissue so we can shift the load somewhere else and that might allow them to return to training earlier or, or do a higher load continue to do a higher load of training and in the meantime they need to increase the tissue capacity with their rehab and then once that um, relationship has flipped so the, the the tissue capacity exceeds what's required for the activity then maybe they don't need the orthotics anymore and again you just don't whip them out it's you know we wean them off don't use them for your shorter runs <laughs> you yeah. know don't, you don't use them in that pair of shoes etc etc so that does that sort of cover some, yeah. some of the success uh,
2: that's absolutely, yeah. absolutely brilliant um yeah, I, must,
1: look- I must admit I've, I've i've stolen all of that from dr ian griffiths who is like Um, the the doyen of of just 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 describing how orthotics work so all of that's his 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 wording Um, but yeah that's he's a good person to listen to if you want to get any more detail on that
0: nice to give him credit yeah yeah absolutely yeah
2: um yeah so that sort of i think uh has really cleared up a lot of the uh, questions that i had in my mind and i'm sure the listeners um who are you time you think of foot and calf and leg injuries you think oh, i need orthotics so it's great to hear the the variations that that can uh be uh, assessed around so i'm yeah I'm, I'm really really pleased with that response and um and that kind of brings us to the next topic which is um you know the trend recently has been the carbon sole in running shoes and i'm really interested in what your thoughts are and how that could be relatable to potential injury um You know, because they are quite a different shoe um, to what we've grown up. You know, I was talking to Jordan about this the other day. I grew up with a a pair of you know, as a ten year old, I had a pair of uh, really basic flat running shoes, racing shoes. Um, yeah. Tiger, they were tigers, and they had like the minimalist. Um, the
0: original Nikes,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. they were they were just so tiny, and and you yeah. know, you wonder whether that was a, a reason why I ended up having so much calf injury for my whole career as a runner, but. But it, you know, had I had the availability of the shoes that we have now, um, you know, where do you see the shoe uh, trends uh, with in relationship with injuries and potential uh, issues? Obviously, we're not, I don't want to talk about how the shoes are making people faster. But I'm more interested in um, in whether it's affecting their their potential to be injured and um, you know, down down the track, um, the the real problems they might have with uh, the the wrong shoe choice.
1: It's it's hard. The, the shoes haven't really been around long enough to have like to have um, for us to have significant statistics on increased injury rates, um, and particularly because they're not being worn by everyone. Um, this cost is a limiting factor with some of these shoes. You know, they're three hundred and sixty bucks a pop. They only last three hundred k's. Um, <laughs> so so that there's that kind of thing. And I think it's hard to. Um, not talk about what they do do to explain what they might do <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i mean like so uh, and, and because one of the interesting parts is that uh, and i'm to, again like to give credit i'm just taking this from um stuff that simon bartold has explained um, but with a lot of these super shoes at the moment and a lot of people get caught up on the carbon plate and that being the really important thing um but a lot of it's the the, the, the a lot of it's really the change in the foam so your, your traditional eva foam that's in most of the shoes we've been using up to now has like about a 60 percent energy return um and so the the pbacks and the zoom foams and so on that they're using in some of these shoes has a 90 energy return so you, like you so the amount of you know force you put into the shoe it's giving you back so much more but it, it, but again it, that it, that has a certain lifespan and only lasts so long but the other part is it's super unstable so and you're talking about really high stack heights to get this really high energy return so you're getting higher off the ground so higher off the ground if you want to talk injury risk well you think about a moment arm it, it just means that your 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 rotational movements in your body have further to go have you ever re- run behind someone wearing any of the alpha fly necks or or the next percents that has pretty slopping running mechanics and that like everything's just going all over the place particularly once they get tired
0: yes um, you definitely i've definitely seen footage of it already yeah
1: yeah yeah so and, and sometimes and and i also question you know how long how long that person had that shoe for you know like you, you you're you um elite marathoners are just putting a fresh pair on to run the race, you know, right. <laughs> so, so it's not fatigued, but the, the, so what, what coming back to the carbon plate is it, it might be just the chassis for that foam in order to stabilize it a little bit, makes it a little stiffer. Um, uh, so there's, there's, so there's that conundrum. They reckon that the foam probably makes a bigger contribution to why it's better. Um, but there is that—that that sort of—it's sort of the geometry of the carbon plate, as much as anything else. Is that you know, it, it's actually almost better if you sort of midfoot land on it, and it rocks you forward and throws you forward, mm-hmm. and the combination of the two means that yeah, there's less plantar flexor muscle fatigue over time, and that's why it's more—it's more relevant to the longer runs as well. You know, in marathons, half marathons too, because that, that's when calf. You know, fatigued, fatigue more important. Yeah. You know, the, long, the longer the run, the more important that becomes. Um, so it, it, having the, the carbon plate in there does change the uh, the amount of force that goes through the big toe joint. It does change the amount of of, of ankle joint moment force that there is. The other part is that the, with, with it though, is it's, it's being something seen to be with the ones I've created so far, you have to be strong enough to bend the plate. So a lot of the most it's been much more successful in the male running fraternity and has been in the female running fraternity so far and mm-hmm. the, and it'll be interesting to see whether they have to change the thickness of the carbon plate for that to to change um but you uh, know i think there was the american running trials that i think the first five athletes in the men's were all wearing the same shoe yeah. <laughs> but whereas in in the women i think only one of the top five was wearing a, a, a super um, you know, a super shoe, mm. so it's having different effects in different places. You got to be strong enough to bend the plate, and so does that affect the injury risk? And does, if females are using it and they can't bend it, or or a lighter a lighter male with poor cu- plantar flexor strength is using it, are they going to get injuries at the joints further up that are taking the load because the foot hasn't actually been a, been able to produce a bending force? So it's you know that's that's a lot of talk yeah, about, yeah. Great answer, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, yeah.
0: You're spot on that it's been too short a time to actually know. And I have seen arguments both ways, exactly what you're saying. You know, I've, I've- because there is uh the the natural thought that it might cause more injury but then i've seen the arguments the other way that it's actually helping prevent injury so um it's interesting to think about but in uh, talking about shoe trends and this kind of ties into the orthotics as well because i thought like dad i thought that point you made was absolutely brilliant and i'm someone who definitely had some of those beliefs around orthotics like um once you've got them you've got them for life i definitely believed that previously um so it's great to clear that up but Same thing with shoes. I mean, not just the carbon plated super shoes, but so many top end shoes now. um, Sorry, I should say mid range shoes now. Um, The technology has has just come so far. You know, your standard trainer that you're going for, your easy runs in or your um, training sessions in, not your super race shoe. Um, The technology is is just super advanced as well. And they've changed the the height of the foam and everything. Um, And I guess not not looking so much from an injury perspective, but uh, just from a foot biomechanics perspective, do you think that that's similar to orthotics and it, it could just assist people in, um, in, yeah, their foot biomechanics? Do you think that's a good thing? 100%.
1: I think it's, 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 it's um, person specific. So, um, and, and to be honest, the orthotic, it never works on its own. So it's always the, the net effect of what the orthotic does inside the shoe. And if you change the shoe, the effect of the orthotic will be different as well. So, like, as a practitioner, we need to take that into account. Um, you know, what shoes is this going to get worn in? And it might be really good in in and effective to offload a t- the tissue we're intending it to in one shoe. But then when you change the shoe, it might be absolutely horrible. <laughs> and so so that, the net effect of the orthotic and the shoe is super important when we're trying to rehab an injury for sure. Um, I think it it's that kind of thing is important to be uh, notable and what shoes are they using when we do have an injury and is there a tissue we're trying to protect (laughs) when someone's otherwise robust i think the the most important thing is you're comfortable in the shoe so comfort just to like if you if you put the shoe shoe on and you're happy you tend to be pretty like the run tends to go all right yeah absolutely agree with and, that yep. yep yeah so that's comfort's actually you know in all the studies they do what like what shoe fixes this at you now the, the, when the person picks the most comfortable shoe for them that tends to like lead to the least injury risk yeah yep. so, so, but and, and but then from there i think the other things to take into account are other principles that we've already spoken about so don't change anything too quickly so don't don't go from doing all your runs in one shoe to a completely different type of shoe and do all your runs in that shoe on the flip side, I think it's really good to have two or three, if you can afford it, different shoes running at the same time that are all slightly different. Because what's that doing? It's just like you're training. It's it's making your tissues tolerant of slightly different things. Mm-hmm. But it's just like another training modality, mm-hmm. realistically. So your yeah. body's not getting used to one position and one thing. Yeah.
2: That's, a, that's a fantastic. It uh, really makes me think about the treadmill, which is sitting right behind me in the picture, um and
1: Which i is you're running mechanics as
2: well <laughs> exactly right and and i've said to jordan many times i can run on the treadmill but the minute i go outside when each foot has potentially got a different landing angle yep. i am not able to cope and you've almost answered that question it's when i land on the treadmill i'm landing on the same spot pretty much step after step
1: Exactly. Step after step, no camber, you get a little bit of give. So you know, so like that. that We're talking about when you're trying to offload something with someone who's running outside too. Not only have you got you know the foot, so the shoe plus the orthotic environment. What happens when they go run on a camber on a cambered road? Like Mm. that Mm. changes it all. That changes it all again. Mm. Um, So you know, there's 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 a lot of variables to take into. And and like when you say with with if if for some people treadmill treadmill running might be really good. So you know. They, there's certain positions they, they absolutely can't get into, but if it's if on, on the flat and 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 a little bit of give works for them, then you can. If you've got someone that's trying to come back from Achilles tendinopathy, that's the last place you probably want them to run. Mm-hmm. It gives a little bit, so it's going to stretch the Achilles a little bit more. The ground's moving away from them, so that's mm-hmm. going to stretch the Achilles a little bit more. So that's probably going to aggravate their tendon versus running on the pavement. So, mm. so we probably want the pers- that person on yeah. the treadmill. Um, Someone with a bone stress injury, starting running on the treadmill is going to be a better idea because the impact is going to be lower. Um, yeah. So we start them there. So yeah. it, we, could, we can use those things to uh, and to, and to our detriment
0: <laughs> so, yeah absolutely and it, it's become a pretty popular trend among the pros to really transfer a lot of their training onto the treadmill and that is just because of the massive low they're doing and they would be yeah, doing that just to offset some some injury risk obviously they need before. to be able to run fast on the road so doing yeah. all their hard training on the treadmill is not going to help but more yeah. they can do on the treadmill is just yeah. in line, exactly in line with what you're saying.
1: Yeah, that means, as you say, so they can work their body systems without stressing their, their, their bones and their bones and some of their tendons as much. Yep. So, yep. so, yeah, yep. particularly yep. when you're talking about those kind of lives and bone stress injuries is really big for those guys that can mitigate some of that stuff.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, no, it's brilliant thinking. Um, I guess to finish off with is what would you want to listen to know or understand about podiatry, about your work? What would, you, what would be the take-home message you want to leave everyone with? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, always is yeah <laughs> yeah 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 that
1: is, that is a super tough one um i yeah I, I just think that you know i think don't think about the foot as just um shoes and orthotics and the foot environment it, it actually has a, a significant effect on on the whole body and what happens up above it so if you're having trouble with you know anything up to lower back pain and you just can't put your finger on it and you haven't had a have a, have a think about podiatry then potentially come have a chat with us and, and if and if we're if we're not the person you should talk to. Ideally, if we're okay doing our assessment as we have, hopefully we can point you in the right direction.
0: Yeah, that's really great. Well, that's, that's a great way to finish, Matt. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, really valuable insights. And as Dad and I have both said multiple times throughout the episode, uh, just really clever ways of thinking about things. That's uh, just great principles, not only for... Um, for the foot and your body biomechanics, but as we've already found out, you know, this, these principles apply through training and through uh, most other areas. So a uh, really good way of thinking, but thank you very much for coming on.
1: It's been a pleasure. It's been really, uh, really good to join a podcast that I've listened to quite a lot. So glad to spend some time with you guys. Thank you awesome. very much for having me. Thanks Matt. Cheers.